Our Advent scripture reading today, which I'll be preaching from, comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. I'll be reading from verses 3 through 9. Paul writes, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He, he will also be blameless. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. One of my very favorite things to do as a dad is to watch my daughter Isabella's softball games. She started playing in sixth grade when we moved here to Midlothian and has played fall ball and spring ball ever since. Melanie and I will get our fold-up chairs and we go out to the ball field and set up just past the dugout usually so we can see her uh, whatever she's the home team or the uh, away team. We're, we're right down there in that same spot so she knows where to look over to see us and get encouragement. We cheer for our players. The players cheer for one another when they bat and when their pitcher is pitching. Parents and grandparents get into the game as well and encourage the team. Now, whether it's softball for you or soccer or lacrosse or other sports or other events, you, you know what it's like to sit on the sideline and encourage your, your child or grandchild. When Isabella bats, I cheer her on. She knows her dad's going to cheer her. And she, she and Melanie are in ETC today, so uh, she, she's not able to hear me cheer her now, but a cheer for her as she serves the Lord today. But I'll say, this is all yours, Isabella. Base hit. That's all you need. Be a hitter. You got this thing. And if she takes a, a, a pitch and it's the right pitch, I'll say, good eye, Isabella. Good eye. If she gets a strike, I'll say, way to go after it. Good cut. Try to encourage her as she's at bat. You'll hear us say, you got this, Isabella. When her pitcher's pitching, we will say to the pitcher, you got this, you got this. Probably that is my favorite cheer because it tells her that she has the self-confidence that she needs to succeed at her task in the sport. Not to worry because she can do it. I don't know about you, but in life I need encouragement. We all need encouragement. We need people who stand along or sit on the sidelines who shout, you got this, you got this, you can do it. As Christians, we think of Paul who wrote, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I, that's my paraphrase. The Apostle Paul was the one who planted the churches in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. And like Luke the, writer, Luke, the writer of Acts, writes that, Paul stayed in Corinth about a year and a half 
starting churches, teaching the gospel, equipping leaders, mentoring leaders. One of his roles was to be a cheerleader to his churches. And when I read through the sermon text for today, I hear Paul encouraging the Corinthian Christians. I imagine him standing down from the dugout saying, you got this church, your God is faithful, you got this, you don't lack any spiritual gift, you got this, you are in Christ Jesus, you got this, we are on the same team church, you got this, be together, you got this, Christ will keep you strong to the end, you got this. Because the Corinthians were a group of people, as you know, if you've studied the book, who needed some encouragement. They needed clarity of mission. They needed unity. They needed some correction. They needed help in a number of areas. When Paul wrote the letter to first, the, the, of 1 Corinthians, he was in Ephesus where he had traveled after his long stay in Corinth and he had received word from some leaders about difficulties and problems in the church, some conflict and even some disunity. And he wrote this letter as a response to help them or to encourage them. But he didn't correct them in the very first words. He set an encouraging tone in the letter. Perhaps they would be more open to hearing what he had to say if he opened with a tone of love and encouragement. He addresses them as saints in verses 1 and 2. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes who accompanied Paul to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ. He's calling them saints and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And then verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives thanks for the people. He acknowledges they've been saved through the grace of Jesus Christ. They've been made holy. And then in verses 5 and 6, Paul, he says that they have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. Godly speech, godly knowledge. There's evidence of this that has been reported to him as well. Paul uses a Greek word that refers to a being becoming a wealthy person. It's where we get the word plutocrat. Uh, it, it means to be a very wealthy person. They are made rich not in worldly riches but in spiritual riches. He is acknowledging what he has seen and heard in them. And then in verse 7 he says you don't lack anything. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to come. He's encouraging them. He is telling them he's heard some good things. Yes, there are some corrective words to come, but he has heard good things. The testimony that Paul and the leaders had shared with them to lead people to Jesus Christ has helped multiply the church. More people have come to the Lord and so these are good things and he uses language in verse 7 and following that have to do with waiting and expecting the Lord's coming he knew that there was anxiety in the congregations about the second coming 
and they were uh, really concerned about how they were to live and function because they expected that it could be any day. There was some fear there. And Paul is acknowledging Jesus will come. And I believe his letter helps us to see that in the meantime that God gives us the provision, the, the things that we need to function as believers and as his church until the day of Jesus, until the day that he comes. Jesus reminds us in Mark chapter 13 that we are to watch and wait. He reminds us that only the Father in heaven knows when that second coming will be. And perhaps Paul is saying, church, be encouraged. Don't be too anxious about the next coming. Uh, be concerned about how I have taught you to live in the here and in the now. We need these words of encouragement today. Advent is a time marked out in the Christian year for spiritual preparation in anticipation of celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. We are not guided by the retail calendar, as we've already said in our worship services. We must not jump from putting away Halloween decorations and enjoy some Thanksgiving turkey and then right, go right to Christmas without acknowledging that there is spiritual preparation during this season. Late in the 5th century, the church treated the seven weeks prior to Christmas as a season of spiritual pre preparation. Christians would fast and pray and focus on repentance and confession. For them, Advent was to Christmas as Lent was to Easter. Later in church history, the Advent season was shortened to four weeks, and that's how most Christians in the West now follow the four Sundays prior to Christmas. Today, we might use things like Advent devotionals, like the one we publish. Go to our website and click My HRBC up at the top. The, our brand new website, by the way, thanks to Matthew and our communications team. And you could click on that and subscribe to our Advent devotionals that come in your inbox every day. Or you can get a hard copy. Many of you have already done that. You might experience Advent and as a family in the home. You might light candles around the table or other ways of experiencing the hope, love, joy, and peace of the Advent season. Advent doesn't simply mark the first four weeks of the Christmas time, but it marks the beginning of the Christian year. It really sets the tone for how we are to live all year long. In today's HRBC Advent devotional guide, Jessica Torres, one of our members who grew up here and went to JMU, graduated and is now on a year-long mission called the World Race, she writes in the December, today's devotional these words. By the way, she's in Nicaragua as we speak, so continue to be praying for Jessica. Uh, she writes, a phrase that the Lord has been teaching me a lot in the past year is expectationless expectancy expectationless expectancy. She says, this is like seeing presents appear under the Christmas tree. We can be assured that there are gifts to open, but we don't know what to expect on the inside. Living in expectationless expectancy looks like believing, knowing that God is going to fulfill his promises or is going to be active in your life but not putting limits or expectations on what 
that fulfillment will look like. Expectationless expectancy inspires hope and gives freedom. She says, God's people were promised a Messiah long before Jesus was born. His people waited in expectant hope for God to bring into the world this king who would bring restoration, peace, and prosperity to their oppressed nation. Many of them expected him to be a powerful king or warrior. They had high expectations. But when Jesus came, he wasn't recognized as the Messiah by many because of their expectations. Despite the many prophecies, many of them that don't line up with those expectations. During this Advent season, Jessica writes, we join them in expectant hope for that hope in Jesus Christ to be born. Let's not let our expectations get in the way of seeing Jesus in our own lives. Paul writes, he will keep you strong until the end. This Jesus who has come and who will come again, this God who became flesh and dwelt among us, the divine potter who became the clay, he entered a broken and sinful world in the form of a tiny baby and turned it completely upside down. He is the one who has come and promises to yet come again. We, in the meanwhile, do the work of the gospel in the here and in the now as we wait on the there and the then. How will you encourage someone this week? How might you be to someone else as we are to the Parks family as an encourager church? Maybe a word of hope. Maybe a visit. Maybe a warm meal to someone who is in need. Maybe a note in writing or a text or a, an email. Maybe a financial gift to someone in tough times. I don't know what it looks like for you, but how can you and I be encouragers and let others know, with God's help, you got this. You, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter, O Lord. We are the works of your hands. Help us, God, to be faithful as you are faithful. We have the elements of the Lord's Supper today to encourage us. Each first Sunday we gather around the Lord's table and we are taken back to that moment where Jesus gathered with his disciples the night that he was betrayed and took bread blessed and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. As often as you meet, take, eat, this do in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup and poured, blessed it and poured it out, saying, this is my blood shed for you for the remission of your sins and the sins of many. As often as you meet together, take, drink, this do in remembrance of me.